Well, good morning, Embrace. If you look around right now, you'll, you'll go, where are the people? But then you'll look around when we start singing, and then you'll be like, oh, here's the people. But you're here, and I'm so glad. So I'm Tanya Torp. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and just want to welcome you to Embrace. If this is your first time, somebody's going to come around and say something to you, come and love on you. But uh, consider this your big welcome from all of us. Um, we're very excited today because we have Pastor Caleb with us, so we are rocking it today. Um, I just have a few announcements that I want to go over. Yeah, there's, you can clap for that. Um, so there are connect cards in the pews in front of you, and we use these for a couple of things. If you're new and you would love to get to know us, or else we actually, actually want to get to know you. So if you would let us know that you're here, we would love that. But we also have a dedicated prayer team who loves to pray for you all, and we keep your prayers confidential. And so we send these prayers out all week long, and there's a bunch of people praying for you. So if you have a prayer request, please put it on this card. You can drop these. There's two boxes. There's a box back there that says Embrace with a Cross, and there's another one over here. And you can drop those in there. You can also drop, drop tithes and offerings in that space. Also, um, want to encourage people to read the announcements. There should have been an announcement handout at that table or at the table coming in that tells you all the amazing things that we are doing here at Embrace, so you don't want to miss anything. As a reminder, there is no Wonder Room this month, so it might get a little loud back there, but you know what? We love kids here. It is the sign of a healthy church, so you might hear some kids back there making some noise, and that is A-OK. -okay. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And then finally, I will share that we do have a stream. So if you need to step out for any reason, if it gets a little overwhelming for you, I love to tell people my whole family is neurodivergent. It sometimes gets a little loud and we need to step out. There is a cafe back here that will have a live stream of everything that we are doing. Uh, so I would just, again, want to welcome you. And I'm going to hand it over to Laban, our worship leader, who's going to lead us. Thanks, Tanya. Good morning, everyone. I invite you to stand together. Let's join in this call to worship this morning to open our hearts and minds to what the Lord might have for us. O oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. So this first song is a little bit it's a little bit more relaxed than like a normal um, opening song, I guess, for a Sunday morning, but it's kind of like a relaxed August morning anyway. So I invite you to kind of ease into it, even if you don't know it, reflect on the words. It's written out of the book of Ecclesiastes, so it's kind of a, uh, that book's kind of a perspective on big ideas in life and how we fit into all of it, how God fits into all of it, and yeah, I always like this song. It's called Vapor. Chasing of the wind, the powers of the earth, so pale and thin. We will set our hearts on you again. 
Heaven taunts the hearts of men. We can feel it from within. The beauty of it all, the mystery, the swelling of a voice, the rising sea.
We know nothing is able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to enter into our gratitude and lament time this morning, so feel free to uh, turn to a neighbor and maybe share something about your life. It could be something you're excited about. It could be something maybe is a little more difficult in your life, but share something, and then we will continue our worship time here in a few moments.
All right, just take a couple more moments to wrap up your conversations. And I invite you to stand together. Let's sing this song that invites the Holy Spirit into our, this place this morning. Higher and higher and higher 
heaven meets earth like a sloppy way Kissing my heart turns violently inside of my chest And I don't have time to maintain these regrets When I think about the way that he loves us Oh, how he loves us Oh, how he loves us Oh, how he loves Yeah, he loves us Oh, how he loves us Oh, how he loves us Oh, how he loves us As we sing about the wonderful love of Jesus, I just love to remember one of the ways we can know with certainty that we are loved is because God put on flesh and blood and came to live among us as Jesus. And so when we put on flesh and blood here in our neighborhood and we get to know our neighbors and we have dinner together every Monday night and do many of the things that are part of our life here together, that's us trying to have love in the middle of everyone just like Jesus did. And so another way that folks um, show presence and in incarnation is through mission work. And so while we are neighborhood focused, that is one of our values here at Embrace, we also support work that is going on all around the world. And we have three different couples, families, that we are currently partnered with at Embrace. You've gotten to hear from the O'Callaghan's relatively recently. They're in Honduras. Um, and they were here for a couple of visits over the last year, and we got to see them and hear a little bit about Caminar Juntos, their ministry. We are also partnered with um, Sue Crone's sister, Sally, who is in Costa Rica, and we actually get to see Sally in October. Hopefully that wasn't a surprise. I didn't ask you if I could say that. Okay, good. We're excited to see Sally in October. She's coming. <laughs> Um, but today we are actually going to hear a video from the Fogelman family. And so the Fogelmans are in Albania. Um, and we are considered one of their sending churches. We are the church they were attending here in Lexington before they initially went to the mission field in Kenya. And they spent about seven years in Kenya and then felt the Lord calling them to transition all the way around the globe to Albania. So they have been there for the last year and a half and are settling into an entirely different language and population of people. And I know that some of you have not seen their faces in a long time, or maybe ever. And so this morning, we're going to hear a video from them, um, and then I will share a little bit more about ways that we can support and partner with them. Dan, question? Alicia, Brady and Alicia Searle. In, U in Uganda, yes. Yeah, so they just recently went back. So when they were in Uganda before, we were partnered with them, and they're just getting resettled. And yeah, so the Searles are also part of our church. So it, Embrace loves to send Embrace DNA out into different places. And so all of these couples, all of these families are part of the wider Embrace family. Um, and so we're excited to get to hear an update from the Fogelmans today. Hi, Embrace. We are the Fogelman family. I'm Kinsey. 
And I'm Mark. And we have three little kids, Emma, who's nine, William, who's six, and Matthew, who is two. So yes, hello to you, our Embrace family. Uh, we definitely have fond memories of being together with you uh, during our college years and uh, just having memories of being a part of Embrace when it went from Roz's house to uh, the downtown theater to where you are now. And uh, for those of you we haven't met yet, hello, and uh, we hope to be able to visit you sometime soon in the future. Uh, but we are here to talk to you about ministry in Albania. Yeah, we currently live in Albania. We've been there the last year and a half. Um, during that time, we've been learning language and building community. The kids are involved in a great school um, and we are getting to know our neighbors more and more. Yep, and so it's, it's a population that is majority either Muslim or atheistic and it's an opportunity for us to come alongside the younger and uh, smaller body of our brothers and sisters to be able to support them, encourage them, uh, and help equip in any way that we can uh, just to come alongside them as they love and serve their neighbors um, and, and see what God does in each step, in each, in each season of life there. Yeah, so similar to how it was when we lived in Kenya, our family does live off the support of others. Um, one of those big ways is support through prayer. Um, we love when churches come together and pray for us. Um, getting messages from people who are praying for us is always super encouraging. Um, one big prayer request we have is going back. Um, we've spent the summer with family and we are heading back for our kids to start another year of school and for us to get deeper into ministry there. So we would love your prayers for that. Another way that people partner with us is through financial partners. Um, and people do that through one-time gifts or through monthly um, recurring donations donors. and um, yeah so we would love if you would join um, us in praying over that and asking God how you could partner with our family um, and what that might be like and we love when people come to visit us so if you also would love to come and take a trip out to Albania you are always welcome in our home yep and uh, I think you'll be getting some information uh, about us and contact information is on there we'd love to add you to our newsletter list and just keep you posted uh, but thank you so much for your time and attention, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Yep. yep. Bye. God bless you. Bye. You can clap for them, sure. So they, like they said, have been settling in in Albania for about a year and a half. Their biggest task was to learn the language um, so that they can show respect in their relationships with other people. They really do have a heart very much like the ministry that we do here at Embrace. They're wanting to be incarnational, to live among their neighbors, to follow Jesus together. Um, and so they mentioned there are multiple ways to support them. What they did not mention that I will mention on their behalf today is that they are currently in a funding shortage. And so when they transferred to Albania, they um, lost some of their regular monthly givers. And they are in a position of needing some new people to step up and join them, um, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly sponsor. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you, if you have, um, you know, any sort of physical money with you, most of us don't carry it anymore, really, but if you have some cash or a check and you would like to give that in honor of the Fogelmans this morning, you can use one of those um, envelopes in the pew and just write Fogelman on the outside of it and stick it in one of the offering boxes, and that will get to them as a one-time donation this morning. And if you're interested in being a monthly partner with them, 
And they said they've got people at $25 and people at $300. So whatever that looks like for you, um, if you'd like to be one of their monthly partners, then let me know and I can get you connected with the information to give to them in that way. I will also post their prayer card on our Embrace Facebook page so that you can find that later. So just wanted to share them with you this morning. I want to continue to keep connected with our partners who are serving around the world. Grateful for the ways that they extend our ministry and our opportunity to um, be Jesus in lots of places. So we're going to enter now into a time of prayer, and I'm going to very carefully kneel here at the altar. Anyone who, is, who would like to join me is welcome to do so, and we'll just take a few minutes of silence first to just kind of breathe and center ourselves and uh, allow ourselves to really just be open to God this morning. Gracious Father, we come to you together this morning as a community, grateful that none of us are walking alone. God, I thank you that you have called all of us to one another to be a family. And Lord, I just pray that no matter how alone some of us might have felt this week, no matter how anxious, no matter the burdens we have carried, I pray that your love and your peace would reach us this morning. God, we lift up the different missionary families who have gone out from this place to serve you and to follow you and to love their neighbor in new neighborhoods. God, we do pray for the Fogelmans this morning. We pray that you would be with their family as they travel back to Albania and get settled in for a new school year as they continue learning their language, as they begin to partner in creating a community center where they can learn more about their neighbors and, and walk in life together. God, we pray for them as they face this funding shortage and ask that you would open hearts 
and that those with resources might be paired with them, Lord, so that their ministry might continue. We pray for Sally and Crosby in Costa Rica. We thank you that we will get to see them soon and pray that you would keep them safe as they travel. We pray for the, the relationships and the neighbors that they love so much in Costa Rica. And pray that you would continue to energize them for the work. And God, we pray for the O'Callaghan's in Honduras. We pray for them as they continue to walk with families who often have very little. We thank you for all the ways that you provide and that you allow Ryan and Amanda to, to be present when things are hard. And God, we pray for Ryan and Amanda as they continue to, to walk with you and to, to seek your intervention with their foster daughter, Lord. We thank you for the work that you have called each of them to, and we thank you for the work that you do in this neighborhood, God. We thank you for the organizations who partner with us and who, who do good work here in our neighborhood. We thank you for the youth who step up as leaders, for our neighbors who care for one another. God, we thank you for the way that you are present and the way that you move. We pray that you would continue just to energize those who are working for your kingdom, that they might continue to bear fruit, and, Lord, that there might be a harvest far beyond what any of us can imagine. Lord, as we think about our own neighborhood and about the needs of our neighbors, we are burdened with the need to pray for those who are trapped in addiction, Lord. We pray that they would be able to reach the resources and the help that is needed. God, we pray for families who have been torn apart by addiction, and we pray for healing and for freedom and for rescue. We pray for those who need housing and find a total lack of affordable options. God, we pray for change in our city. We pray for those who have faced gun violence and who fear gun violence. And God, we pray for peace. There are so many heavy things that we can bring to you, Lord. And we do that this morning. We lay the heavy things on you because you have promised us a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. And God, sometimes those words don't make sense or they don't feel like the reality we're participating in. But Lord, we know that you are faithful. And so we pray this morning that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us anew and afresh, that we might experience deeper measures of your peace, and deeper measures of your love, so that we might give them away. Lord, I pray for everyone in this body who is hurting this morning. Pray for your comfort, Holy Spirit, for those who have lost loved ones in recent weeks, for those who are facing chronic illness. Pray for those who are feeling strain in their relationships or feeling isolated and alone. 
we know that you are love and that when we gather and your spirit is in us and among us, mighty things can happen. So God, we pray that you would have your way in us this morning. God, we celebrate who you are. We praise who you are. You are faithful. You are loving. You are good. And we pray for not only the peace that passes understanding, but the joy that is only found in Jesus Christ, the hope that is only ours in Jesus Christ. May that wash over us anew this morning. Father, as we lay all of these concerns at your feet, we're not even sure we have the right words to pray. We often feel like we've run out of words, and yet you've taught us. Just as Jesus taught his disciples many years ago, we can still join and pray and say together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. As you find your way back to your seats, I'm excited to get to introduce Caleb. You might as well just stay here. Do that. Get your Bible. I didn't want him to run away because he's next, y'all. So I'm introducing Caleb to you this morning, and I'm so excited to be able to do that. This is a familiar face to lots of you, but to those of you who have not met Caleb before, this is a homecoming of sorts. Caleb is certainly part of our larger Embrace family. Just like we've sent these missionary couples from Embrace to their current places of service, Caleb was with us for a season as well and is a youth pastor in Campbellsville, Kentucky now. But he comes and brings his youth group. They'll be here at the gathering tomorrow. Um, so we're still connected, and we love that. Um, but Caleb is just an incredible person. Um, getting to hear scripture from him is something that I love because I know that it dwells in him, and I know how much he loves Jesus. I think when John introduces him, he usually says he doesn't know anyone who looks more like Jesus than Caleb or some sort of high praise like that. Um, but many of you, I watched many of you greet him in the hallway this morning, and just, Caleb, you know, it's so good to see you, and it is true. He is an excellent, excellent person and a very humble follower of Jesus, and so it's an honor to hear from him. It's also appropriate that he's here while John is on sabbatical. Um, when I first got here, yeah, did you know, I was, you, were, you didn't know I was going to say this. When I first got here, John went on his first sabbatical. I'd been here three months, and Caleb was here as a part-time intern. We were both seminary students, and the day after John and Laura flew to Spain, the sewage pump backed up in the boiler room. And Caleb and I handled that together, my friends. It was wild. So that's a bond like you don't find often. So it's appropriate to have him back during this sabbatical time as well. And grateful that we get to hear from the Gospel of Matthew through Caleb. So let's give him a hand and welcome him this morning. Good morning, y'all. So good to be here. Such an honor and a privilege. Um, man, when I 
Yeah, I, when the sewage backed up, this was, the sermon wasn't about that, but it, now it is. Uh, I, I, I looked at Christina, who is a newcomer, and I thought, man, I'm going to have to do most of this. And uh, that wasn't true. Christina was an absolute sewage rock star. Um, so good morning. I'm, I'm Caleb. Uh, it, it's, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. I was uh, part of the community of Embrace uh, most actively in 2014 to 2018, though I, I think I still belong here. Um, and we've, we've talked a number of times about ministry DNA and, and uh, my my ministry DNA, my DNA as a follower of Christ was certainly uh, deeply formed by my, by my time here. Um, and, you know, and I've, I've changed some. Uh, I, 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 several, several of you all have compl- commented, not complimented, commented that I'm wearing a, a tucked-in shirt today, and, and I feel like I've disappointed some people. And uh, I told Miss Diane that, uh, that, I'd, that I'd gotten civilized and and she said, "Well, don't get too civilized." And so I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my best to follow through on that. Um, it, it's such a pleasure to to get to to share the word of God with y'all, um, and it, it's a it's a pleasure, it's an honor, it's a weight. Um, but my the, the running gag is that John always gives me hard texts, and I feel like that's like I feel like that's a gag, but it feels like a true gag. That like the the last time I was here, I had to I had to preach like six chapters in First Samuel on Absalom's revolt against David. And it's like, okay, what do I what do I do with that? Um, and so when when I was asking if my my youth group could come in and and partner with y'all on Monday night, uh, Christine asked if I would would preach, and uh, I said okay. Uh, I I and and then I was told that y'all were in Romans. We're going to be in Romans, and I said. Uh, just go ahead and tell me I'm in Romans 9 through 11. And, and Christina said, as a matter of fact, you will have Romans 9. And I said, oh my gosh. So uh, then John decided it wasn't a great idea to have five different preachers preach through Romans uh, and, and to do it beforehand, which uh, props to him for that. Um, and so I, I switched, my text switched from, from Romans 9, uh, which is, I don't know what Romans 9 means, um, to uh, the feeding of the 5,000, which is like so far on the opposite side of the spectrum in terms of difficulty of text. Like this is one of the most commonly uh, uh, known stories of Jesus. And so then that presents a different problem because I, I want to come, come with something fresh and something exciting and, and I want to impress everybody and God forgive me for all of that uh, because it, I, what I found is that I've been disciplined by, uh, by this text. That it is not my job to to make things new and exciting. It's it's my it's not even my job to to share my heartfelt opinions on uh, what I think should be happening with this church. Uh, it's it's just my job to proclaim what Jesus has done. And so I've found a lot of liberty uh, just in in obedience under this text. And uh, and I hope that 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 through the telling of this this very known story, uh, that God will inspire something good in all of us today. Um, and so, as a story that is extremely well-traveled, uh, it is hard to approach it with new ears, um, but I do, you know, as, as much as we can suspend the knowledge we already have, it, it, it will be helpful for us to try and hear this text with new ears. Um, there's, there's not a lot in it that is going to come as a surprise to you, um, but to approach a story of Jesus anew uh, is always a challenge worth undertaking. So, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. 
uh, and I'm going to begin reading our text here. Uh, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And and we'll pause here, and, and this, this is a story that is, that, that is beginning sort of in the middle of things. The, the first lines that we read are when uh, Jesus heard what had happened. And so, so what had happened? What had happened was uh, King Herod had beheaded uh, John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. Uh, he was his partner in ministry, really his mentor in ministry in a lot of ways. Uh, John was much more established as a minister and a leader than, than Jesus was at the time. John had baptized Jesus. And so uh, Jesus' close family member had just been put to death in a, in a gruesome, a very public, very political sort of way. You see, John had, had been speaking the words of God uh, around those who were very powerful. Um, and, and what Jesus knew already but, but was coming very face-to-face with is that it's often dangerous uh, to speak the words of God around the powerful. Um, there's, a, there's a well-trod uh, pattern of, uh, of powerful people putting to death those uh, who dare to speak the words of God. And, and, and for Jesus himself, the word of God incarnate, uh, perhaps this might be a good time to lie low. And so he, he goes off to a, to a place to, to pray and to grieve. And yet his, his seeking after solitude, his, his praying and grieving is, is interrupted um, by crowds who are seeking his teaching and his healing. And, and though this is not what Jesus had intended, this is what, wasn't what he was seeking, he, he, he can't help himself because he's God. And... And, and healing and compassion flow forth from him like streams of living water. And so when he is met by this crowd of people uh, confronting him with their needs and their desires, he cannot help but to meet them. And so we'll, we continue in the text. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Um, and a, a quick word on the language here, uh, we've got, this is just the good NIV. I like the NIV, it's readable and it's big, it's quality translation. Uh, and this is a great translation of this chunk, but I, in another translation I, I read it was, uh, they spoke of it as, uh, the place is desolate and the hour is late. Um, for any of you who, who dabble in Greek at all, the, the place is des- desolate, that's eremos, which is a, which is a big... Uh, uh, it's a word with a lot of baggage, a lot of meaning sort of coded into it. This place is a wilderness. It's the place where people can't continue. It's the place where life can't exist on its own. Uh, the place is desolate and the hour is late. So the disciples say the place is desolate and the hour is late. So send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. The disciples are thinking through logistics and logistics have to be thought through. Sometimes the sewage systems backs up, and, and no matter what the sermon is, the logistics have to be thought through, and these people need food. So send them away. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. 
They answered. I'll bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, and, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men uh, in addition to women and children. And, and so this is the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and it, we're, we're going to try and constrain ourselves to Matthew's version of this. This is a, a, a miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's, really, it's a really important miracle. And if you're wondering where the, the little boy with his lunchbox is, that's in John's telling. And that's the, I mean, how do you, how do you skip out on the little boy with the lunchbox? But Matthew doesn't have him, so we're going we're gonna to try and stay just with Matthew's version today. Um, and and this, this miracle is so powerful and so important that it, it, it really happens twice uh, in a slightly altered form. If you, if you, and this isn't, for those of you with, uh, who are wondering, is this a text-critical issue? Well, Matthew puts the next feeding of the 4,000 in the next chapter of the Bible. And so if he, like, forgot that there were two feedings, they, he put them right next to each other. So it seems like there were probably two feedings. Uh, Jesus uh, is met in the wilderness with a large crowd who are seeking his help. And so he helps them. And then they need food, and he feeds them. And, and what, what we are presented over and over with in, in the Gospels is that Jesus is the ultimate image of God. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. If we want to know what God is like, Jesus says, well, look at me. And so the things that Jesus does are the things that God does. And, and what we see in Jesus is the nature, a, a person, and, and action of God most perfectly revealed. And so this is as an essential image of who God is and what he is about. And we see in this, in this miracle, we see that God is about compassion. God is about healing. God is about providing. And, and God, Jesus is demonstrating here what we might consider indiscriminate care. Jesus makes no separation in the crowd of the worthy and the unworthy. And Jesus makes, makes it very clear in his ministry that there will be a time for separation into sheep and goats, but, but that time is not dinner time. That time is not, not a time of, of compassion and, and of God meeting needs in the wilderness. Jesus does not say, let the one who is without sin take the first bite. Jesus says, y'all are hungry. I've got food. Let me provide for you. And, and if you know, Matthew, Matthew goes to lengths to note that everyone here is fed, men, women, and children, and if, if the, the men folk who are in charge of counting and writing it down didn't consider the women and children worth counting, well, Jesus considered them worth providing a miracle or two for. And this is not just nice. You know, it, it's nice when someone provides a meal for you. It's kind. But this isn't just nice. This is messianic behavior. This is Jesus entering into the wilderness, providing food for those who do not have food. Uh, this, this demonstration of God providing in the wilderness reminds us of God providing manna in the wilderness. Again, wilderness, the desolate place at the late hour. God providing manna in the wilderness for the ancient Israelites. See, God liberates the descendants of, of Abraham from 400 years of slavery, and then they are they're stuck sort of wondering uh, in the wilderness, and in their wanderings, he miraculously provides food for them. 
all that they needed for the day, every day. And, and at a certain point in the history, uh, you know, the Israelites get a little bit tired of the manna that God is providing. And I, I kind of get that. I'm a, I'm a variety guy. I like add-ins. I like novelty. And the Israelites grumble. They say, well, we've had, we've had this before. We've had this before. It's the same day in, day in and day out. It's man on the ground. And, you know, we appreciate it, but it would be nice to have a little meat. And then they start thinking back to Egypt. And they say, oh, for the, for the old days in Egypt when we had cucumbers and, and, and melons and meat and slavery. Um, but man, the meat, so, so right now the meat, I remember the meat much more clearly than the slavery. And, and so they, they cry out to Moses, and then Moses cries out to God, which is the right move. And God says, okay, I will, I will provide meat for you. And if you go to, if you go to uh, I, I was reading in my, in my own just reading uh, through Scripture, I was reading through Numbers, and in, in Numbers 11, uh, literally, he says, y'all are going to have so much meat, it'll be coming out of your noses. This is, what, this is what God says to Moses. He says, fine, I'm going to give you, he provides quail. He says, you're going to have it coming out of your noses. And Moses says, well, hold on, God. Have you considered the logistics? You see, I've got 600,000 people. I don't know if you've been counting. I've got 600,000 people here, here behind me. If we, were to, if we were to kill all the herds and cattle in the area, if we were to take every fish out of the sea, could you really provide meat for all of us? And God says, is the arm of the Lord too short? And I love that. I love that line. That's an instructive line for me because sometimes I feel like the arm of the Lord is just a little too short to meet the needs that I've got. But, but Moses says to God, can you really do all of this? And God says, is the arm of the Lord too short? And then he provides. So Jesus, the incarnate, infinite God, presented with hungry, hungry crowds in the wilderness, demonstrates again divine compassion met with divine power. And, and this is the first place that I want us to camp out this morning. The, the connection of divine compassion with divine power. See, brothers and sisters, the gospel is a matter of power. The gospel is a matter of power. The gospel is not just good ideas and, 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 and healthy ethical reasoning. It is those things. It contains those things. Uh, but it is much more. The gospel is more a, power of, uh, more a matter of power and authority than of ideas or ethics. It, it's about a king and a kingdom. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And the good news that Jesus came to share is that there is a king who is righteous, powerful, and loving, who has gone to hell and back for you and wants you to be part of his family. It's not about good ideas. It's about a good God. And it's nice that Jesus is nice. He's, he's righteous, and he's just, and he's loving, and he's wonderful. But, but love on its own does not put bread in mouths. It cannot provide what is needed when the wilderness comes. When we arrive at the place of desolation, when the hour seems too late, love without power is insufficient. And so that is what we are about here. That is what the gospel is about. Not just good ideas, not just compassion, but a power 
that girds those things, that grounds those things, that guarantees those things. Now, no amount of righteousness, even sinlessness, can feed that multitude in the wilderness, in the desolate place in that hour, and that is good news that Jesus still can feed them. Because we, we should not be naive about the track record that love has against power. There is a firm pattern throughout history of the righteous without power being slain by tyrants with power. And this is, this is what this story is about. We've seen that in this story. This is why Jesus is going out into the desolate place at the late hour in the first place. There are two kings in this story. Both of them have power. But Jesus' power is not like the power of this world. There is, there is the largest possible distinction between the two kings of this story. The first king of this story is the one that we get in that first little line when he heard what had happened. The first king is Herod. And I don't even know for sure which Herod this is. Because with the powers of the world, though they strive and they kill, they are changed out like clockwork because the power to kill is not enough to save up more power in the end. It is, it is the power to give life that Jesus says is, is more final. Stanley Hauerwas, who's, who's always a guy worth quoting when you can get away with it, he says that, that Jesus has compassion on the crowd is best understood in contrast to Herod's banquet. It's Herod's banquet that precipitates uh, John the Baptist being beheaded. Jesus provides food for those without food solely because they are hungry. Herod provides food for those who are not without food as a demonstration of his power. Jesus feeds the 5,000 because he has compassion for them. His feeding, therefore, is an alternative politics to the politics of envy and greed that the Herods of this world cannot avoid. King Herod exercises his power to take life. Necessary casualties in his own pursuit of greater, more secure power. King Jesus exercises his power to give life, to provide without cost, generously meeting the needs of the people who offer him zero strategic benefit. And this is crucial because we live in a world that is in need of more than good ideas. We daily, weekly face problems that cannot be solved by better ideas. We need power. We need, we need a God who is good and strong, who is both. We need a God who can actually do something. All right. He, okay. I'm going to tell you the, mo the most offensive way that I've ever heard this, this, this miracle preached. And this is, I, I say this at the vague risk that someone in here has once said this. Uh, and so I can get away with this because I'm leaving tomorrow. And so, give, yeah, I, well, I will, I will apologize uh, if, uh, if I step on anybody's toes here. But I, I heard this when I was in, uh, I, th I think, late elementary school, maybe middle school. We were it's in, the, in, the, in the early aughts, and, and American culture was sort of at its height of, uh, of modernity and at its height of discomfort with anything that was supposed to be miraculous or, or supernatural. We were very embarrassed that Jesus was doing miracles. We wanted Jesus to you know, to, to 
to be sort of a, a nice guy scientist who had good ideas. And uh, Jesus doesn't, doesn't tend to do that very well. Um, so there's a lot of discomfort with Jesus' miracles. And, and so the, the, the story was taught like this. And you have, to, you have to bring in, we have to snag the little boy from John because he really, he really sets us up. The, so the story is this. Uh, Jesus is in the wilderness. There's all these, there's all these crowds there and uh, they need food. And well, up comes this precious little boy with his, with his little Ninja Turtle lunchbox. And he says, here, Lord, I've brought the food. And everybody smiles and they think, well, you know, if this little boy can share, maybe I can share too. And before you knew it, one person shared a piece of bread to the next person. And all of a sudden, everyone was, was sharing and, and well-fed and having a great time because of the power of one young man inspired the multitudes. And that is the miracle that Jesus accomplishes as he comes to earth to teach us to share. And God, help us. If that is the, if that is the best that the creator of the cosmos can accomplish, then we need a better God. We need a better Messiah. He should have sent someone who can do something. We've been taught to share. We're still not very good at it. If that is all that God, if that is all the miracle that God can possess, if that is all the power that God has for you in your life, and the, pow, and the, uh, the difficulties that you face, the difficulties that that's, this community faces, it's just better ideas, nicer thoughts. That we, we need a better God. But the gospel is that God is a better God. Jesus was there multiplying bread because he's not just a nice guy with good ideas. He has power. He's the rightful king. He is the creator, the perfecter. And so when I come to Jesus with my problem of addiction, when I come to Jesus with my problem of, 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 of doing the wrong thing, when I come to Jesus with my problems of others who have hurt me or, or me myself hurting others, he does not say, well, have you considered better self-talk. He says, let me send my Holy Spirit to live in you. Let, let me produce in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let me provide healing for you. We do not worship a God of God, good ideas. We worship a good God who is powerful and mighty to make a change in your life. That's the first place that I want us to, to camp out today, is that, that, that the gospel is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. And, and as, a, as a church which lives in a, in a world that, that still is uncomfortable with the miraculous, and, and as we go through moments where we are afraid to need the Lord's power, because what if he isn't powerful? Because what if he doesn't? step into my life in the way that I want or the way that I need. We are, we are brought to face that difficulty. We are brought to face that tension by the reminder that the gospel is not a matter of talk. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It is a matter of power. And so I want to I bring us to, to a question that I'm really excited about. And if there's, any, if there's anything that might tickle, tickle our brains a little bit in this, it is, it is this. And I, I've really enjoyed it, and I hope you will enjoy it and find it instructive too. Um, it's a question. Who does the miracle? 
if this is a story about power, who does the miracle? I'll, I'll take real answers if somebody wants to throw out a real answer. There's, there's a relatively obvious answer and then a, maybe a less obvious one too. Oh, man. I'm a, I'm a college professor now, y'all. I only teach one class, but I'm good at calling people. Laban, who does the miracle in this story? Also, hi, I don't know that we've met. I'm Caleb. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus uh, is a great answer. Laban's, uh, Laban's, Laban's been, been to church before. Uh, Jesus does the miracle. Who else does the miracle? Sir. The Holy Spirit does the, mir- does the miracle also because God, Jesus is walking around working with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. Who else does the miracle? Tanya. The disciples. This is, I've just been enjoying this. I've just been, I've just been resting in this a little bit. Jesus does the miracle and the disciples do the miracle. And in John's version, the little boy with the lunchbox also does the miracle. God delights to express the power of the gospel, the power of the kingdom, through divine partnership. It's divinely sourced. The, power, the, the, the origin of the power is very clear. It is God. The disciples do not have the power to accomplish the task that needs accomplishing. And... and, and And this isn't God's only option. God can do stuff on his own. God doesn't, it's true theologically that God does not need us, but I'm so tempted to put an asterisk there because if you were to ask God, I think he would say, yeah, yeah, of course I need you. Because God delights to express the power of the gospel, the power of the kingdom through divine partnership. It is not God's only option, but it is the option he chooses most frequently. God delights in partnering with his followers to accomplish miraculous acts of generosity. When faced with the problem, 5,000 people in the, 5,000 men plus women and children in the wilderness, they need food. This is the problem. Jesus' solution is to the problem is, in order, you feed them, which is a difficult place to start. It's like, well, Lord, we can't. Okay, there's, there's there's more to the solution, don't worry. Jesus' solution to the problem is you feed them, but we only have what we have. It is enough if you bring it to me, and then it is abundantly enough. This is the pattern we see in this story. This is the pattern we see throughout Scripture. This is the pattern that I have seen in lives in this room and in my own life. You feed them, but we only have what we have. It is enough if you bring it to me, and then it is abundantly enough. The pattern is frustratingly clear. On on the one side, Jesus Jesus does not say when the disciples protest. He does not say, ye of little faith, stand back, losers, I've got this. Nor on the other hand, does Jesus say, well, five loaves is better than nothing, and tis better to give than to receive, and in sacrificing the little you have, though it will not be sufficient to meet the need, uh, still you will find God's gladness in it. It is neither divine power only nor human power only, but Jesus chooses to interact with both. And this is, and again, this is the, the pattern is repeated. In the, in the next chapter, when Jesus feeds the 4,000, he runs the same play. 
He just runs it back. It's, it's, it's the, it's, yeah, it's his, it's his favorite. You play the hits. Jesus says, okay, well, you feed them. We can't feed them. We only have what we have. Give me what you have. It is enough, and then it is abundantly enough. This is the pattern by which Jesus expresses miraculous power in the world. It is the power by which God desires to interact with this world today. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the, shame the wise, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And if you want to know what the foolish things of the world means, I invite you to look to your left. The foolish things of the world, that is you and me. If, if God were to just handle it on his own, he could. He has the power. He's, he's, he's almighty, infinite, but he, he doesn't want to. He doesn't prefer to. He prefers to work with you and me, the foolish things of the world, to shame the wise. There's a, there's a missiologist named uh, Christopher J.H. Wright, and I don't know anything at all that he's ever done except for this one quote, and so I should probably apologize to him. Um, but he's got this great line. He says, we think that God has a plan for his church in the world. Uh, and, and mostly we're wrong. It's not so much that God has a plan for his church in the world. It is that God has a church for his plan in the world. God already, ha- yes, isn't that good? I'm, don't even worry about reading it. He's probably trash. I don't know. But that one line, God has a plan, in the, plan for the world. God has a plan for the world. We know this. He's the author, the creator. He does not leave the world to its own devices. He's a, he's a saver. He's a savior. It's, it's in his DNA. And so what does he have for that plan? He has the church. And this is, this is options A through Z. God, God says every time, we'll run it again. We run the play again. It's the church. It is the disciples who take what they have, meeting problems that, that they are not fit to meet on their own, and they bring me what they have, and then it is enough, and then it is abundantly enough. The church is God's solution to impact the world. And so God looks at you and he says, you're my solution. You're my solution. It is a a twin scandal. We throw ourselves on the promise of divine power. When we go to face problems within ourselves and without ourselves that we cannot meet with the resources we have, we shamelessly have to throw ourselves on divine power and say, Lord, good ideas will not be enough for this. I'm going to need some power. And so we are scandalized, but God also is scandalized, found to be scandalous because God, uh, uh, oh no, oh no, I just lost it. I had it. It was so good. God throws himself entirely. Found it. Don't worry. God throws himself entirely on the wager that he can work with us to accomplish the good that he wants to accomplish in the world. What scandal that God would, would, would count on you, that God would count on me to accomplish the good that he knows needs to happen in the world, and yet he does it. Every time, shamelessly, God God looks at us and says, you are my solution. Why does Jesus ascend to heaven? This is a good theology question. Why does Jesus ascend to heaven? Because he wanted us to have the Holy Spirit. Because one instance, incarnate form of God walking around was enough. God really wanted to be incarnate in all of us too. That seemed more efficient to him. And, and if, we, if that seems like a bad investment for God to make, well, he doesn't seem to think so. 
God invests everything in partnering, us with, partnering with us to do kingdom work in a world that, is, that needs it. To bring justice, healing, peace, righteousness to a world that is, that is sorely lacking in all of them. And so, and so here is our, our call for today, our invitation for today. Join Christ in the desolate places in the late hours. Join Christ in the desolate places in the late hours. God calls us to go to the desolate places in the late hours with what we have, though it will not be enough. Saying that if you bring me what you have, it will be enough. It will be abundantly enough. And, and, and we go into the desolate places in the late hours, not hoping that he will meet us there, but we go so that we may meet him. Because where does, where does God hang out? God hangs out in the desolate places in the late hours. The, deci- the, the crowds did not, did not have Jesus come to them in desolation. They went and found Jesus already ahead of them in desolation. And you Wesleyans, as many of you are, are Wesleyans, you of all people know that. You've got provenient grace. The grace which goes ahead. The knowledge that, that wherever we venture, God already has been there and is at work. And so we can have courage to walk into places that are desolate. We can have courage to go where it looks too late to accomplish anything, anything new, anything beneficial, trusting that God already is there. God's plan for the church is this. It is manna passed around with human hands. It is divine power expressed through you and me. Imperfect but, but working with perfection, working with divine power, working with God's Holy Spirit. God provides the power and he expresses that partnering with us. And when we feel hopeless in the face of desolation, in the face of the lateness of the hour, God invites us to ask, is the arm of the Lord too short? For your problem, is the arm of the Lord too short? For, for the problem of your neighborhood, is the arm of the Lord too short? For, for the problem of your family, is the arm of the Lord too short? And I, I want to inflect this in two ways. I want, I want us to consider this call both inwardly and outwardly. And outwardly is what seems most apparent, at least to me. But, but I want to begin with what is inward, uh, not because it's, it's more important, but because in some sense it, it must come first. Will, will you... Go and meet Christ in the desolate and late places in your own heart. Those, those places within you that, that seem like wilderness, that seem devoid of life, that seem too arid, too dry, too rocky, too filled with debris, too broken for anything new to come there. Would you... Would you go and meet the Lord there? It may surprise you that the Lord is already there. But that's where the Lord hangs out. He goes to the desolate places in the late hours where anyone else would say, well, nothing can grow there. It has been been wrecked for too long. That is where we are most likely to find Jesus. And so we are invited today to, to go to those places within ourselves and meet the Lord where we are desolate and where the hour seems late, with the promise that Christ would delight you with abundance. That Christ would delight you 
if you were to join him there. And, and, and this is a difficult... I know that it is hard. I have been... I have my places of desolation where I have been so fearful that the Lord could really be there, could really meet me there. And, and sometimes the Lord's healing, the Lord's, the, Lord's, the Lord's engagement does not happen all at once. Sometimes the problem is not all resolved instantly. We know this, and it is painful. Sometimes we cannot even interpret the ministry the Lord offers us as anything but more pain. And yet the promise of the gospel is, is this, that God is faithful. That, that in the highest heights and in the, in the lowest depths, in the, in, in the belly of, of the dead, that still we cannot escape his presence. That he is there in our desolation. And in our lateness, he is there. And so, for brothers and sisters, are there any desolate places in your life where Jesus is inviting you to come and meet him? This is our inward inflection. And the outward inflection is, is, is pretty simple to, to see, difficult to practice perhaps. Will you partner with the Lord in going to those places which look desolate? Will you partner with the Lord in going to those places, to those friends, uh, to, to, those, to those locations that, that it looks like they have been wrong for too long? It looks like there's, there's no way where you could imagine this A point leading to any sort of B that has life, that has love, that has peace, that has God in it. Will you go there knowing that what you possess is not enough, but that God would partner with you and to take what you can offer and to make it enough. That, that even though it is hard to see, that Christ would delight you with abundance. Oh. Some of you, I, I know, and I want to I speak with, with care, some of you have served long in your own inward places of desolation and in those places of desolation without. Some of you have served and ministered long and have sought the Lord long, and it is hard and it is still hard, and it is unresolved. And so I just want you to hear this as, as an encouragement to, to persevere. Because God's plan is still the same. God's plan is still the same, and God's plan is salvation. It is, it is abundance. We are tempted toward hopelessness at times for ourselves and for others. And the places seem too desolate, and the hour seems too late. But in faith and hope... Today we proclaim, the Lord's arm is not too short. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Though scripture points us to Jesus, and we find Jesus at this table. Rarely does the scripture point us so directly to a meal as it does today. And I just want to say, if there are times that you read the stories that are in scripture and they feel a thousand miles removed from your experience, today we have heard that Jesus fed people who were hungry, and today Jesus feeds us. So if you have come here hungry, if you have come here so numb to your own hunger because you feel like it's gone unfulfilled for so long, Jesus meets you here today. Jesus wants to feed you here at this table today. 
Caleb teased the John version of this story multiple times. It's got some really beautiful language. John is a beautiful writer that really brings us to this table. And so I'm going to read a few verses from that account for us. And I invite you just to close your eyes and just to let these words of Jesus wash over you as you prepare to be fed by him today. In John's telling of the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd approaches Jesus the next day and asks, What are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I will give for the life of the world also is my flesh. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, the one who eats me, he will also live because of me. Father, we come today willing to acknowledge that we are hungry, that we need the bread of life. And as is always the case, even before we were willing to say that to you, you provided the bread that we need. You have given us Jesus that we might be fed and we might be full and we might be overflowing with your love and your power and your abundance to partner with you in going out to a hungry world. God, this morning, many of us have a complicated relationship with you. If we're honest, nothing is ever as easy as we'd like it to be. But you say, come. Come to the table. Eat of my body and drink of my blood, and you will have life. God, today as we come, would you pour your Holy Spirit? Today as we come, would you pour your life into us? 
strengthen us, empower us, fill us, and free us. Your miracles are not past tense. Your power is not past tense. The work that you want to do is not over, but it is here and it is now. And God, we say yes today. So we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice, that they might truly be for us the body and blood of Christ. That though we have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves, though we have failed to love you with our whole heart, today we will be empowered to go forth and to partner with you in a hungry, hungry world. God, in just this next moment of silence that stretches out before us, You offer us yourself, and we want to offer ourselves back to you today. Lord, hear the prayers of our hearts in this moment. Father, what you so graciously give us, we gratefully receive. Glory be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, we're going to form two lines together down the center to come forward and take communion. If you're helping me serve today, I invite you to go ahead and come forward. And you're welcome to come to this table. Whether this is your first time here, whether you've got any sort of idea what you really believe or not, we believe Jesus is faithful to feed us. So you're invited to this table. Whenever you feel led, you can come forward in just a moment. I invite you to use the hand sanitizer that's provided for you if you'd like. And then just reach out your hands in a receptive posture. The communion servers will tear off a piece of the bread and and dip it in the juice for you and then hand it into your waiting hands. And there's tissues on the altar. If you would like to clean a little bit of juice off your hand, you can do that. But this altar will be open, and I invite you to feel free to spend time here. And as you are ready, come and receive.
could just sit and I could just sit and wait for all your goodness hope to feel your presence and I could just say and I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you hope to feel something again Let's sing that verse again and I could just sit and I could just sit and wait for all your goodness hope to feel your presence and I could just stay I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you hope to feel something again but you have called me higher Call me deeper and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. You have called me higher. You have called me deeper and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. Will you lead me, Lord? I could hold on and I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside and I could be safe and I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home never let these walls down but you've called me higher you've called me deeper go where you will lead me, Lord. You've called me higher. You've called me deeper. And I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. You've called me higher. You've called me deeper. And I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. You've called me higher, you've called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord, where you lead me, Lord. And I will be yours, Lord. And I will be yours for all my life. I invite you to stand. Let's sing this part together. And I will be yours, Lord. And I will be yours for all my life. And I will be yours, Lord. And I will be yours for all my life. So let your mercy and I will be yours Lord and I will be yours for all my life so let your mercy light the path before me cause you have called me higher 
much for joining us in worship today. Thank you again, Caleb, for bringing us the word. And if you would like to continue to participate in the food motif, you are welcome to come be part of dinner tomorrow night at the gathering. It is available for everyone every week. We gather with our community and we eat around the tables because we see Jesus eat and feed people a lot. And so we're going to do that together tomorrow. And you could hear Caleb again if you want to. That's great. I'll also remind you that if you did not see the announcement sheet when you came in, it's on the door as you head out. If you need anything, I am here. Pastor Tanya is here. Rachel is here. Let us know. And with that, I will invite you to prepare your hearts to receive the benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.